This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, October 7th, 2021. And my guest is the excellent Matteo Doni. Hi, Matteo. How are you? Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me back on the show, Miriam. Absolutely. And in case you don't know, folks, Matteo is one of the two people behind Tech Travel Geeks. Yeah, my official job title is Chief Mobile Opinionist. Whereas Lukas is our chief aperture officer, which means I focus on the mobile stuff and he does a lot of the camera stuff. You guys have great titles and it's a, it's a great YouTube channel, folks. Check it out. So, Matteo, I haven't had you on for a while, but it's, it's been a quieter week and there are some like big ticket items here still, despite the relative quietness. I guess it's the calm between the rest of Techtober storm because we know the pixels just around the corner. That's actually one of the items, so we might as well just break it off right now. Pixel 6 series is officially launching on October 19th through a virtual event, which was really surprising to me. Um, not really, but a little surprising to me. And uh, yeah, so you know, you know, warm up your wallets, folks, because it's uh, it's coming, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Lukash and I at Tech Travel Geeks already have our pocket money earmarked for whatever is ha- coming. Obviously, we're <laughs> not part of the inner circle; we haven't been told, but we have a good idea on pricing, size, and everything. And I'm quite Excellent. excited about the Pro variant. Uh, mainly because uh, my cases for the Pixel 6 Pro have already arrived from China. Oh, look at that. You're ready. Um, I should be getting a device. I don't know how soon, but it's hopefully coming. And, of course, I'm super excited. I'm, I was just saying that I'm surprised because I felt like, you know, a lot of virtual events have been happening during COVID, rightfully so. And of course, COVID is not over. You know, there's still a lot of concerns around that. But I feel like it would have been nice for them to have a real physical in-person event to get hands-on opportunity for those of us who like to do this kind of stuff. Like, that's the only drawback of having a virtual event. There's not going to be any hands-on opportunities. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm making this up right now, but I assume there'll be an embargo that lifts probably on the same day. So maybe you'll get some reviews that day. I don't know. But I'm just saying that in the past, it was always fun to like fly to New York or be in San Francisco somewhere for this big launch. And I would have thought that by now, Google would have, you know, done this by taking the right precautions, you know, requiring vaccination or tests or something. Because... They didn't do Google I.O. And that was reasonable. That was fair. That was, you know, people were just starting to get their vaccines at the time. But I find that this is a bit of a, a little disappointing. It's just not the same vibe, right? True. It's not the same vibe. But I think that we've seen this happen from a lot of companies. The in-person events will be much less frequent going forward. And especially for smartphone launches, where uh, budget is usually limited, even if you're a giant like Google, I think that they're spending their budget a bit more wisely and widening the reach of who they're providing review samples to, who they're engaging with as a brand. 
And not having people at the event, I think, enables them to do that. I've seen, especially in the last year, a lot of smaller creators, smaller uh, bloggers and influencers have access to uh, not only the support of the PR team, but devices, which in a way I think is great. Uh, sadly, I'm not one of those, but it's good <laughs> to see that those companies uh, expand their reach in such a manner. No, I agree with you. I I just feel like, you know, I was kind of hoping this would be the beginning of the fall event season somehow, you know, that, you, I don't know, this summer were a few things that happened, you know, Moto flew us out to New York for the Moto Edge launch, uh, Qualcomm flew us out to New York for the Snapdragon sound experience with Stephen Aoki a while back. I've done a few trips that are tech-related so far this year, I should say this summer. Uh, now that we're in the fall, I was hoping it would continue. And, you know, I can understand where they're coming from, but I just feel like having a, an in-person event does not necessarily mean you can't have other creators that normally wouldn't come to your event. They could have done it in such a way that everybody would have benefited somehow, you know? Yeah, definitely. That's my gut. But, like, you know, I'm not going to complain too much. I just kind of wanted a reason to go to New York. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good enough excuse. Right? Anything to, to travel. It's good to hear that you've actually been able to travel over the last year. I haven't really felt comfortable doing that. The last time I was on a plane was uh, the 7th of March 2020. So it's been a while. The last time I flew was just a week ago. I've been flying a lot because I'm doing car coverage for Tech Radar. So with cars, you know, you bring the journalist to the kind of like the the hands-on opportunity, basically, the drive opportunity. Um, unless eventually when you get review units, then you can, you know, have a fleet of vehicles available in various cities for the journalists to try out. But initially, you know, you just fl fly people around. And so that's been resuming slowly in the car tech and car coverage world. And so that's I've good. been traveling to do that. And mostly it's been the US right now, but I'm actually going to Germany next week. Oh, awesome. So, yes. If you're passing through Edinburgh, let me know. I'm not. It's a direct <laughs> flight from, uh, from San Francisco to Frankfurt. But it's my first yeah. time going outside the US since COVID. So that's exciting. And But inside the US, I've been traveling quite a lot since uh, June. I'd say about once or twice a month. And honestly, it's been perfectly fine. You know, you every like the rules are pretty strict around wearing masks and, you know, people are mostly doing it. I mean, the people who aren't are getting pretty much thrown out at this point. So this is good. I'm I'm on board. And you know, vaccinations help. I've obviously been vaccinated for quite a while. But I did travel during COVID for a family thing about a year ago, and that was the only time I really traveled before vaccination in the heart of COVID when things were still kind of unknown and unclear. Yeah. But it, it was a measured risk. We kind of had to visit some family, and we decided to just go ahead and do it. And honestly, I was really impressed. I felt very safe doing it. The precautions taken by the airline, the airports, the hotel, the car rental were really impressive. Obviously, their business hurt enough that they cared to make it uh, possible for people to travel. So, Yeah, the travel industry sadly has been suffering. 
but one industry that, in a way, has picked up much, much faster is the car industry. Uh, as you're saying, you've been reviewing cars. And I'm, I'm an example of this. Uh, my partner, Candice, and I had never owned a car. Uh, but during the pandemic, no fly- flying, no travel, we did have needs of getting from A to B and public transit didn't feel comfortable to us. Right. So we purchased a Fiat 500 hybrid, which is hybrid in inverted commas, but uh, we've been really enjoying it. And I've, from what I hear anecdotally here in Europe, uh, the car industry has picked up significantly. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic. Travel and tech, in my view, are go hand in hand, whether it's the vehicles you travel on or all the gadgets that make your travel experience better. Absolutely. And uh, obviously, one of the companies that makes that even better if you're in Western markets is Google, with Google Translate, Maps, and all those wonderful services, which we're expecting to run smoothly and flawlessly on the new Pixel series. Yeah, I really can't wait at this point. You know, we know a lot about these phones and pretty much everything, and I just want it so bad. I'm just ready. And so, you know, I'm I'm at the point where after the, you know, since the Pixel 4, I really haven't had my fix of what I consider to be a true flagship Pixel, right? Uh, there have been good Pixels, but I don't feel like the 4 and 4XL hit the spot. The, the A series has always been phenomenal, including this year with a 5A. Um, that's not in question. It's just, you know, the 5 is a great phone. If you bought one, I th- you have no reason to not be happy, but ha, there you go. Matteo is just showing his uh, Pixel 5. But I think, look, I think we needed a real flagship, and this is, I'm pretty sure this is going to be it. So, I, you know, for me, it's not even about the Pixel 6. It's the 6 Pro. I don't really care about the 6. I mean, I think it needs to exist. For some people, it's going to be a great fit. But for me, it's, you know... I just want a Galaxy S21 Ultra that's a Pixel. That's really basically what it boils down to, you know? Yeah. Um, ideally, that the hardware and Google software would happen. Do you remember when they used to do the Nexus edition or the Google edition uh, phone? Oh, or yeah. no, Google Play edition phones with Samsung and that. HTC? Those were the good old days when they were throwing stuff at the wall and it worked. I loved the Samsung, was it the S4 Play edition? Yes. The Samsung Galaxy S4 Play Edition, because you had the Samsung hardware with the amazing cameras, but Google's clean software, which which I, I really enjoy. Yeah. So uh, I, I hope that one day they, they revive Android One or ha- come up with something similar to fill that gap in the market. Sadly, one of the companies that did Android One has been very, very disappointing, and that's Nokia. Uh, Nokia smartphones over the last couple of years have been promising Android One updates, security updates. I have not seen that, and I've actually been purchasing the devices. So um, as a customer, I'm very disappointed with that. Yeah, I bet. Speaking of Nokia. Yeah, we're just going to talk about that. Um, But before we jump into, I just want to kind of finish the Pixel conversation because there are some leaks, further leaks. We're like less than two weeks away now, but somebody got their hands on the phone and through a source on one of the YouTube creators and basically has been posting some really interesting videos. Uh, We finally got to see the screen and how angled the edges are and it's actually very mild, so that's very good. And also the first camera samples 
uh, which are, I have to say, very impressive. So again, the excitement is building up. And if you go digging around, I'll put the link to this YouTube video in the show notes, but there's, there's more out there about the Pixel 6 and 6 Plus every day. It seems to be leaking and or, you know, rumoring more and more. I, I, at this point, I think it's just leaks because rumors, we know pretty much everything, right? Pretty much. Uh, the only thing we don't know is the final shape of the software. It's uh, The hands-on may not be, have been updated to the final version. Right, right. And more importantly, uh, I think for the average person buying the devices, what sort of amazing deals we'll get this year. Usually in the UK, we get a free Chromebook if you pre-order, a free set of Pixel Buds oh, or a Google right. Home Mini. It's not just about the device. Google are trying to get people into the Nest uh google ecosystem Ecosystem. yeah and the way they're doing that is uh, having a lot of buzz around the pixel devices but then convincing Mm -hmm. you that you need something else to go with it to make your life better that's right so let's see what deals come out of this for sure and i think the pricing that's leaked that we discussed last week on the podcast i think is very aggressive and that's very that's promising because i honestly would pay i'd pay 12.99 for that phone (laughs) the pro us (laughs) i don't care at this point I just want a no compromise pixel. And I think that's what we're going to get. Having held the the case, I have a good idea for what the feel of the device is going to be. And holding it side by side with the iPhone 13 Pro, it is bigger as in the the footprint is bigger. My hope is that they don't make it as heavy as the iPhone 13 Pro because that thing is a a chonk. (laughs) It's like a weapon. If you throw at somebody, you'll probably hurt them. Yeah, when when people get on the planes nowadays, I hear that they balance who has which phones according to where they seat them on the plane to make sure I that mean, they, they're... you know, you're the tech travel geek expert, you would know. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, this is an inside scoop, but just to make it clear to the listeners, uh, that's just a bit of, of sarcasm there. It's not of really true. Of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, so you we started on the path to talk about Nokia. The reason it's interesting is... I share your disappointment with their devices, not just the updates, which, as you said, are severely lacking. But generally speaking, it seems like I kind of feel a bit of an echo, but worse, of what happened to Google when it didn't succeed in the flagship space and decided to focus on the mid-range. It seems to me that Nokia, you know, when they came back as HMD Global, a few years back, they had a range of phones from really, really affordable, right? Like $100, $50, and then all the way to, you know, some pseudo flagship. I would call them affordable flagship or premium mid-range, you know, like remember the Nokia 8, whatever it was, and like there were a few in that in that upper numbered range before they changed their naming scheme. And of course, there was a 9 PureView, right? The Nokia 9 PureView was, I know, very disappointing for a lot of us, but I think they did some very interesting things there. It just needed more tuning and more baking in the oven. And by the time, and of course, they couldn't do that because it was already behind the times in terms of specs when they finally launched it unbaked. So, you know, it was, a. I, I am disappointed by it, but at the same time, I think it showed a lot of promise, but instead of digging in, they just decided to just completely walk away from not even that nine level segment, but even the eight and the seven, you know, like 
I mean, well, they still made some 7 phones, and they were okay. They were pretty competitive, I think, the 7 1, 7 2. But I feel like since then, it's just been, you know, you're lucky to get a Snapdragon 600 in any of their phones at this point. It's all like 400 series, you know, with kind of massive bezel and chins and, and teardrop notches, and they just feel, you know, cheap, and they are. I mean, it's I'm not saying in a negative way, but I'm hoping, I was hoping for more. Like I was hoping for a broad range of phones and not as many, maybe not as close together in timing. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's just been a disappointment for me. I, I, I'm sorry. And a lot, and, and you know, phones are well received. They sell well, at least as from what I gather, I don't know in the U S because, you know, I'm probably in the prepaid market, but I'm just kind of a little bit bitter because as somebody who loves that brand so much, I really want them to do, you know, something that can stand up to the Xiaomi's and the BBK group phones like OnePlus and Oppo and to the Pixel and to the, you know, iPhone and to, of course, Samsung. And and we're not seeing that. Like, they have no reason they can't do that. They, they're, you know, based in, in Finland, but isn't there manufacturing and all of that stuff in China? Yeah, well, that's, I think, the core problem for them. Um, I, I've been following Nokia quite a lot. Nokia is one of our top uh, content drivers in terms of traffic on the Tech Travel Geeks YouTube channel. And I really wanted HMD Global to go do well. I've been following them for years. I've been really cheering them on as a consumer. And that's why I've been buying their devices, uh, not just for review on the channel, but just to keep up to date. And hardware is hard. Uh, this is not a secret. The pipelines yeah. are 18 months to two years long. And Nokia is HMD global in, in actual fact. That's what's behind the mask. And they're a company, though VC-backed, with limited uh, resources. They are not Samsung. They don't control part of the supply chain. They are, at this point, the new HTC they buy bits from everyone else, put them together, and do smartphones. What was their value proposition, what they were offering, was those software updates, those regular operating system updates and security yeah. updates, which they never delivered. And I'm fine with that. As long as you, just like with the Pixel, the hardware is not in of itself, the spec is not in of itself an indicator of what you get. Software is, in my view, over 50% of the package in this in this case, especially on Android. Yeah. Sadly, Nokia did not deliver on that. They obviously saw that in the high end, they couldn't compete in a, in a successful manner with the Samsungs, with the Xiaomis, with the Huaweis at the time. And so they decided to retreat from that market segment and focus on the mid-range. Uh, they also benefited from a lot of political uh, Events. So, for example, the Huawei ban uh, in the States, and more importantly, the retreat from Chinese brands in the States, meant that yeah. Nokia had a free range of the US market in that segment. And I'm sure that was enabled by their vendor Qualcomm uh, pro uh, lobbying very heavily on, on their behalf to make that happen. Yeah. But my, my, my key thing is that from what I've been investigating on their supply chain in China, Nokia have moved away from going and having their devices made on their spec with their new molds and everything done uh, for them the way they want it. They've been going to ODMs, 
So essentially, it's the, the, the hardware relationship changed. They were given a few samples of what would the hardware would be, and they had to pick, and then the ODM made it for them. They had right. much less input in the hardware, and that's why we saw their 5 Series start slipping from a, a Qualcomm Snapdragon 6 Series chipset started going down to the 4 Series. It, for most consumers, especially in their price-sensitive markets, that's fine. But Nokia uh, has been focusing on that mid to low end uh, of the, the market, especially because their key area where the, in, in the last year they did re- very well was India. There were geopolitical issues between India and China. A lot of people, despite Xiaomi having uh, factories and making phones in India, uh, they opted for Nokia, and they did relatively well in that market. Right. But they're not moving anywhere in a significant manner. And I'm worried that they will be the next HTC who will start having supply chain issues. They will start having bad relationships with their suppliers. They may not get the software support they need for the hardware uh, that they're they're buying and reselling. I don't think Nokia is in a happy place at the moment. As a consumer, I'm sad. But there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel with the tablet they announced. Because yes, <laughs> thanks for getting to that. Yeah, they, they've moved away from Qualcomm, which I find the most interesting thing about that tablet is it's not a Qualcomm one. Not just Qualcomm, but even MediaTek. Yes. Or or. or anything else that you know is generally common on these things i suppose unisoc is common on cheap android tablets but that's what they're using right yeah well unisoc is actually their core business is set top boxes android tv boxes cable tv boxes uh they're not the the sexiest of chipsets if you're 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 an enthusiast I, but Unisoc have made a, a big comeback in the last six months because uh, I have had a couple of Chinese devices that usually wear MediaTek ones because of supply chain issues. Uh, they're now using Unisoc as well. So good to see this slight differentiation, but that just further reinforces my hunch that uh, Nokia had little or no input on what the hardware actually was. This is a branding exercise. It is an ODM device that they were they've taken off the shelf and put a sticker on. But why? Like I when they briefed me on this, I was like, great, awesome. I'm on board, send me one, but why? <laughs> why? Like they 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 did explain why and they're like, well, you know, we see a lot of market for affordable Android tablets that are used just for consuming content and just generally being used around the house by multiple people. So one of the things here is in the software, as you said, software is really what makes the difference, right? And so they have a thing, you know, I mean, it's nothing new, the concept of users on Android, right? So basically multiple people can use this tablet and have their own setup on it and just share it, right? And that's great. And the price, I don't know, like doesn't, for Unisoc, does not seem very exciting to me, $250. And the specs, you know, four gigs of RAM, 64 gigs of storage, 8,200 milliamp hour battery is pretty good. That's going to run very long with the uh, Unisoc processor. Uh, They say 15 hours of web, seven hours of conference call, 10 hours of video. But 15 watt fast charging, the display is 10.4 inches at 1200 by 2000. Fine. Five megapixel camera, 
And, you know, I don't know what it's got on the back. It's got some whack back cameras and all. But I just, I'm just like, why? Like, this is, you can go on Amazon and buy a whole <laughs> bunch of these generic Unisoc branded Android, and they're not bad. I've, I've got a couple of them. They're fine. It's just, I don't understand why they're getting into it. I guess then leveraging their brand. Yeah, sure. But at that price, like that's $100 more than an equivalent Unisoc from a no-name brand. Yeah. I totally get why they've done it, and I'll get pick it up later. Um, but the problem is they're going up against, even in, in the core market they're targeting this tablet at, which is India, they're going up against Amazon. I mean, what gives you the reason to buy a Nokia T20 tablet over an Amazon Fire HD 10. Well, yeah, and this, exactly. This is before... Yeah, the, the only reason a consumer would do that, and, and it's typical of uh, consumers in Southeast Asia, is the spec sheet. The spec sheet is bigger numbers than what Amazon offer on their tablets, but for the core use of the, the device, it will be exactly the same. It's media consumption, video calls, and web browsing. So... I think exactly. they've done a good good move there. They've got the spec sheet and the bigger numbers. They're going up against Amazon, and that's what their value proposition is. Uh, obviously, you can still install the Amazon App Store if you want to, but you're going with Google right. instead. So it's it's an interesting move. Hopefully, it works out for them. But my worry is that the off-the-shelf hardware, uh, they will struggle to keep up with the software updates that they've promised again. Yeah. I mean, I'm on, I'm on board. I told them, this is great. Send me one. I'll play with it. But I think like, I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head. I feel, I feel like, I feel that Nokia is directionless, that the HMD global Nokia is just lost its way. Like it started off so great. We had such a good spread of devices. Some of them were nice and premium. Some of them were great and affordable. Some of them in the middle had decent spec sheets for their price. And then there was the software op, you know, the whole software promise that they delivered for a while. And then there was all the the retro stuff, all the retro phones that they made, right? That was fun. And then I don't know what happened, but it just all changed. And it just happened so suddenly. And, you know, the 8.3 or whatever they did was overpriced and underspecced and just didn't deliver it wasn't it just wasn't competitive and i'm not even including the hard competition like xiaomi in this when i say <laughs> i'm not not competitive i'm talking about they weren't competitive with moto or you know like the the well-established mid-rangers right um I mean, if you put Xiaomi and Redmi and Poco into the equation, as you know, everything just goes to hell, right? Like, I mean, you can get such great value. Like, my mom called me the other day in France, and she has an Honor 9 Lite, which I hooked her up with, because at the time, two years ago, three years ago, when she got it, it was a great deal and a good phone for the money. And her most importantly, her carrier has it, you know, so she likes to go to her carrier to buy it. And she calls me, she says, you know, I think it's time for me to replace my honor and I don't know what to get, but I got, was recommended a Redmi Note 10, I think it was S. And what do you think? And I'm like, yeah, go for it. Like, this is going to be awesome, right? Like it's, there's, you can't go wrong with that phone. Yeah. Um, for the money. Exactly. Let's put it this way. 
both you and I agree we want Nokia to be a successful brand. Absolutely. Having competition, having competition is good. If there yeah. are any merger and acquisitions operators listening to this podcast, please start working on Microsoft taking over Nokia and turning it into what it should have been a, a decade ago. We we tried <laughs> once, it didn't work. Let's try again. I mean, think of it as the affordable Surface device with the Microsoft ecosystem on top of Google's <laughs> Android. That could be a winner. Those are fighting words, Matteo. <laughs> they are. And that's why I'm saying, if you're a VC, if you are a, a consultant working at Microsoft, please just go out and buy Nokia. And now that you've sorted out your own house in terms of culture, product, and your strategy for the next 20 years, please, please just buy Nokia and do that brand justice. For mobile enthusiasts, Nokia is the Bible. It's essentially the key book that everything else is built on. Exactly. I think we I need more, more Nokia. You know, forget Surface Duo, you know, too. We need Surface phones that are Nokia phones, really, is what we need. Yeah. We need, we yeah. need Surface phones that are Nokia phones and get consumers used in the West used to an Android phone that isn't 100% in the Google camp. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And I think to some extent, Moto plays that role here a little bit as well. Although they have also just like, ah, I cannot wrap my head around Moto's strategy lately. Their phones are so abysmal. Like, don't get me wrong. I shouldn't say that. The phones are good, okay? But the ROI, like the price to goodness ratio isn't there, right? Like they are over, at least in the US. In India, I think they're doing great. They have some really good phones abroad that are really affordable and have really great spec sheets. And they're kind of riding on the coattails of that. And But here in the US, we're getting phones that are every time, even in the $200, $300 range, that are literally 100 or $50 over what they should be based on their specs, like price-wise. And and I, I can already hear the pitchforks in the background. They're going to say, but Miriam, they're always on sale, so it doesn't matter. And I'm like, yes, but that's a broken strategy. Like, how do you launch a product at a set price point that's too high, then discount it, and then the price is right? It doesn't make any sense. Launch it at the right price. It doesn't yeah. make your brand look less in any way. These are, as I said, they're good phones in their own right. They're just not good phones when you compare them spec-wise for their price, you know? And they're also not making much of an effort, I feel, Moto. Like, really, you know, like, the Moto Edge that, you know, came out, like, the, the US one, right, that came out, like, a few weeks back that I went to New York for, Compared to the Edge last year that was all metal and glass and premium and flagship, that thing is all plastic this year. And it's just like so disappointing to see them, you know, kind of go so low and then it's overpriced. And again, it's the same problem. It's like they're cutting corners, yet the pricing isn't there. And we know what they can do when we saw them do a flagship last year, you know, and yeah. and. They didn't, again, like like Nokia, they failed once, like it didn't sell very well. And you know, the only reason the Moto Edge Plus, which is a fantastic phone, did not sell really well is because it was a Verizon exclusive in the US. Ouch. They killed it at birth. It should have been an all carrier or unlocked as well as being available on Verizon. And they didn't do that. And of course it didn't succeed. 
And that was so. Just to clarify, in the US, was that a direct competitor to the Samsung Galaxy S twenty FE? Hundred percent. The Edge regular, the Edge normal was a competitor to the Fan Edition. The Edge Plus was a competitor to the S twenty at the time, and a competitor to you know all the flagship. Even I would say even up there with the iPhone twelve. Like it was oh, wow. a bonafide. No, nothing held back. Wireless charging, 108 megapixel camera with OIS, crazy curved AMOLED at 90 hertz, which at the time, you know, was a big deal. Yeah, it was, it was something else. And they just swept it under the rug. And then now they rebranded this, they reused the Edge brand for a phone that doesn't have edges that swoop in, you know. I mean, I'm not a big fan of screens that swoop in, but like it was the thing. The thing about the Edge was it had to, you know, kind of like the Mate 30 Pro, like the crazy Edge, right? And yet now it's an IPS panel that's perfectly flat, <laughs> not an, even an AMOLED. So disappointing. But then again, curved screens. Um, I'm I've moved back to preferring flat screens. Oh, me too. I agree. When when the original 100%. S6 came out, Edge came out, it was sexy, it was new, it was wonderful. Um, after the Huawei P30 Pro. Yeah, it was too much. That, that was when I moved back to preferring flat screens. Hence my continuation of use of Pixels and the S20 FE being my favorite devices in the last few years. Because of that flat screen, it is more practical. Yeah, We love sexy tech, we love all this, but at the end of the day, these are tools, and if it's more practical, it gets the job done better. I'm happy with that. 100%. And it could have been okay with Moto saying, hey, we're going to make an Edge this year that doesn't have the Edge, like it doesn't have the curved screen, but it's called the Edge because it's bleeding Edge, you know? And and made it of aluminum and glass with like a beautiful AMOLED, you know, that runs at 120 or 144 hertz. They did an IPS at 144 hertz, but IPS, as we know, at high refresh is kind of a broken. And also it's <laughs> an IPS. So it's got all the problem of an IPS. You know, it, it has higher energy consumption. It has the, the weird off angle, you know, color shift. And then chin, it's got a massive chin. Like, because of the ribbon cable and stuff. It's just not sexy, you know? Like, it's it's not a... Well, it's not a flagship this year anyway. It's a mid-ranger at best, but it's priced like an affordable flagship. It's priced like $700 for a phone that should be about $450. And even then, at $450, the Pixel 5a is a better phone. Oh, definitely. You know? So that's the problem. It's like the specs are not flagship. It's a Snapdragon 778. It's not a bad chip, but it's not a flagship. It, you know, they just basically decided to kind of like throw in the towel. And it's like, when I think just like Nokia after the PureView, the 9 PureView should have like just dug in and made another one the next year, like and improved on it. And, and maybe done that a few more years in a row, even if they didn't sell that many, because that way they are taken seriously. And eventually people will go like, oh, yeah, look at these phones. They keep getting better every year. Maybe I should buy one. Yeah. The, the problem you is- You can't just magically have a one-hit wonder. It's not going to work that way unless you exercise your muscles and make a flagship every year. The, the problem is uh, Motorola is, again, uh, just as we we're saying with Nokia, it's- a great brand, it's a historic brand, but it depends on Lenovo. 
And Lenovo as a business is a little bit more cautious than other other technology brands. True. They go for the tried and tested. And as with Nokia going to a third party to get their devices made, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the Motorola stuff is uh, actually done by Lenovo in China. And it's a question of marketing the same hardware. Uh, so I think this is, again, same problem. But considering how much bigger the Motorola brand is in certain markets, particularly in South America, oh yeah, uh, I think that Moto are going to do well. They're going to weather this this cycle of technology, maybe the next 10 years. Whereas with Nokia and under HMD Global, I'm a bit more worried. Um, right. This is going to be something that we'll keep an eye out. We've seen in the bigger brand, HTC and LG Sunset, what's going to happen with these brands? How are they going to deal with the upcoming Chinese challenger brands that like Realme, like uh, Honor, and all the others that are coming out of China? It's going to be t- a tough time, and they need to fi- dig into their niches that they're successful in and be ruthless and kill the, the products that have little chance of success like those flagships. I would be fine with Motorola saying, we're going to carry on doing mid-range and low-end. The Motorola G10 that I have is fantastic. I want to see more of that and more of their software support, which is really good compared yeah, to, for good. example, Nokia. I get software updates a few days after the Google Pixel ones, just to give you some context, whereas Nokia I have to wait months for. So I want, I want to see Motorola succeed. They have a good thing in the low end of the market. They can bleed into the, the mid-range or their edge range if they want to. But I, I think that in Europe, at least at least in the UK, they, they have to focus on the low end because they're not competitive uh, in the mid-range. And you know, everything you said that I agree with 100%. And I'm also not worried about them going away as much as I'm worried about Nokia going away. I'm just saying that for our market here in the US, where they were the leader in mid-range and competitively pricing their mid-range offerings with good specs, you know, nothing remotely like Xiaomi or anything, but like very good for this market. That's no longer the case. They're overpriced, although they're always on sale. And the specs are not that exciting and uncompelling. You know, there was a, a Moto G, I think it was G6, right? The sixth gen of the G that was a metal and glass phone at two hundred dollars. You, you can't get that anymore. Like you, it's it's crap, crappy fake glass plastic back plastic frame now. <laughs> and I'm like, I understand. Wait, that. what was it? Samsung call it a glastic. Glastic, yeah. And look, I'm fine at two hundred dollars that it's plastic, but do it like Nokia does, like HMD Global. There, it's they use plastic, but you know they don't apologize about it. It's clearly polycarbonate and it feels like polycarbonate but it doesn't try to look like glass or metal like a lot of companies do and it just drives me nuts that their pricing is so weird like they they just there's something amiss at least for this market with moto and i can't quite put my finger on it but that being said they just launched a new phone (laughs) segue (laughs) i love it the Moto G Pure. The Moto G Pure is powered by MediaTek Helio G25. If you're paying attention at home, folks, this is a very lowish mid-range chip, 4G only, 3 gigs of RAM, 32 gigs of storage. Don't get too excited. 6.5-inch 720p display IPS, of course, 4,000 milliamp hour battery, 10-watt charging, 
and it's got a 13 megapixel rear with a two megapixel depth sensor and a five megapixel front. So what does that cost? This is actually, again, you know, it seems cool until you see the pricing and then you go like, this should be a hundred dollar phone, right? On those specs. Well, in the US, it's a hundred and sixty dollar phone. <laughs> and, and you know, Mateo, if OnePlus wasn't making the N series in the US that are selling literally like hotcakes at T-Mobile and Metro PCS stores right now, or sorry, Metro by T-Mobile, the N200, you know, previously the N100, the N10, these phones are in that price category of 100 to $300, and they just obliterate Moto in terms of ROI, in terms of like the specs for the money. Like, that's why I'm concerned. I'm concerned that Moto's going to continue doing great in Europe and India, and particularly South America, but they're going to completely disintegrate in the US if they don't start being competitive either on spec or on price. True, um, but there's a bit of a cultural thing here. Obviously, the US market is very warped and affected by, uh, by not only the carriers, but the political environment. That's why you yes. see a lot less Chinese brands. For sure. There's not a lot of competition in that space. OnePlus is there now by the grace of Qualcomm's lobbying money. The only reason OnePlus is there is that uh, that Qualcomm are happy to have OnePlus operate in the US because they are one of their biggest chip uh, customers. For sure. Motorola is a trusted home brand that satisfies the, the needs of the many, just as OnePlus do. I would say that... Uh, for the average consumer in the US, OnePlus is a, a question mark brand, whereas Motorola is something we all drew, grew up with, with StarTex and uh, and yeah. and the Razor, the original Razor. Therefore, it has the same brand pool, if not stronger, in the US than Nokia. I, I think that they have a good place to be. They can charge a premium for the Motorola brand in the US. Uh, the the key thing is that. We're enthusiasts. We're looking at this as super enthusiasts who are really into this. But for the average person, like my mum, like your mum, that Moto G Pure is all that they need. Just the, the same way your mum used to use a, an Honor 9 Lite. It's everything they need. For most people, their smartphone is just the odds, text message, video call, but mostly social media and email and occasional navigation on maps. If it does that, and that MediaTek Helio chipset is more than capable of doing it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that most consumers won't see any point in spending 250 to $500 on a proper mid-range phone, because that $160 phone, though overpriced for what it is, is a lot less expensive. It's less than half the price, but it gets everything they need done. Yes, yeah. they won't have the amazing bokeh of uh, a, a Pixel phone and it's all, all its computational photography. But it takes good pictures, and your your grannies and aunties on, on Facebook will say, oh, that's a lovely picture. Thanks for sharing. Like, reshare, <laughs> Novaks. Yeah. No, you make a good point. I'm, you know, I don't like status quo. I want to push the envelope. I want things to improve. And I think, I think Moto in the past has done that, even in the mid range and and even in the low range. I think that they can do a little better, and I'd love to see a little better, at least for our market. I'm very impressed with their what they're doing in Europe, and I'm very impressed with India in particular lately. Like their India offerings are 
incredibly competitive and they have to be right but yes you know give give us some of that love here as well like it doesn't have to undercut OnePlus, but at least get in the ballpark in terms of specs and pricing you know um because right now the reviews are just clear like everyone says you know best mid-range best you know whatever best 200 phone best 300 phone best 150 phones is always one plus it's like you know and and consumers might not know that brand but when they do some shopping and research they're gonna find out very soon enough that one plus is one plus and eventually you know fast forward a couple of years and moto is gonna be like where's our lunch yeah who ate our lunch you know there's no reason for that. Like they are in a very good position to stay competitive. So they are, but I would say um, there's also one other side. Motorola or sorry, Lenovo Rola supports their <laughs> smartphones in terms of software a lot better. OnePlus to to hit that sweet price range with the N series has yeah. They don't have as long support. Yeah. They don't have as long support. Their uh, security updates are a bit more questionable. We'll see how that works out. And also there's going to be that ColorOS merge, which will be interesting. Uh, also, yeah. I, I wonder how f- some consumers will feel when they, their OnePlus N series ages and that OnePlus sticker wears off and you can see the Oppo A series sticker underneath. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny, Matteo. <laughs> if it was only that simple. Uh, but honestly, I think actually I feel much better now that OnePlus has come out and said, hey, we're merging and this is reality. You know, we're making, we're going to be able to make better. I actually think having now used the OnePlus Nord 2, which I think is one of my favorite phones this year, it's so good. Uh, the camera on that thing, oh my God, it's better than a OnePlus 9 camera, okay? Like the main camera. Um, but I digress. My point is that this is the first OnePlus I've used that has emerged OS. And you can't tell them, you can't tell. It's... It just feels like a oxygen, like there's no difference. And this is coming from somebody who right now daily drives an Oppo Find X3 Pro. So I would know if they had colorized my oxygen. Oh, <laughs> did you see how I did that? Oh, that? That was good. That was really good, wasn't it? Uh, if, yeah. you, if you have a, a YouTube thumbnail, this needs to be bot- colored bo- bottles of oxygen or canisters of oxygen as the <laughs> thumbnail. <laughs> 100%. Um, let's switch gears and talk about some again some new galaxy s22 rumors i'm more intrigued here by this rumor that the s22 is going to get delayed not surprised supply issues are real they're not getting better so um it's you know they're not going to launch it in january like they did the s21 fine but what's more interesting to me is that the on and off relationship between reality and the galaxy s21 fe existing in that reality (laughs) you know is uh is back in question in the sense that last week we said well it looks like the galaxy s21 fan edition is just gone just not gonna happen and this week it's it's gonna happen but because the s22 is delayed it's gonna happen in january so so wait a moment miriam you're you're saying that the the update on Schrodinger's S21 FE is that it is now alive and exists in the box, uh, potentially to Apparently, be... Apparently, that's the latest update. Um, potentially to be updated in January, uh, unpacked in January. Well, yes, that's great. This is Schrodinger's phone. I think at this point, we can just call it that. It's like, we don't know, is it alive or is it dead? Just going to have to open the box. It could be, it, maybe it's both. 
Yeah. But I look, I want an S21 FE really bad based on my wonderful time with the S20 FE last year. But I also feel like I don't want Samsung to have to water themselves down too much. I feel like Samsung would totally do another FE phone if the supply things were easier and better for everyone. But last year's experiment was a success. They out OnePlus to OnePlus, essentially, in every way, specs and price, and showed who's boss. They were like, oh yeah, hold my beer. Let, let me show you how to make a flagship that's affordable. And just like the Pixel 5a, you know, on paper, it's fine. And you touch it and it's okay, but then you use it and you're like, oh my God. That was my experience with the S20 FE. I was like, I do not need more phones than this. I do not need, I can recommend this wholeheartedly to anyone. It is so freaking good. And of course I want that to happen again this year, but at the same time, I'll be frank, I think the S22 is more important, especially in the sense that they sell way more of them and through the carriers and all that stuff. And I think that Samsung is definitely not doing super well, you know, on their flagship sales this year. And I think they need, they need that. They need that thing to be really solid. And if they have to skip the S21 FE this year or even early next year, I'll be sad, but I think that's, uh, that's acceptable. Right. And let's face it a year on, the Samsung S20 FE is still a smartphone I can recommend to friends and family. It's that good. Um, I have no qualms with saying, okay, it's a year-old phone on the market. It's still good enough for at least a couple of years of use. So, for for example, Candice has just upgraded her trusty Huawei Mate 20 Pro from 2018 to the, the S20 FE. I've just upgraded her to that. And I'm perfectly cool. comfortable with her using that smartphone because it's such a good phone. I won't be worrying about not receiving good quality cat pictures uh, on Telegram because that camera, that sensor is so good. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is kind of how I feel also about the Z Flip 3, right? The camera is a proven, it's so well proven that you just can't go wrong. Like, it's like the, the hardware isn't spectacular. It's like the Pixel, right? The the current sets of Pixels. The hardware is fine, but then the software is so polished. Like, not just the user experience, I'm talking about the imaging pipeline, is so polished on the S20 FE and the uh, Flip 3 that you don't really need more hardware. It's pr- like for 99% of what you need done, that that camera is unbelievably good. You know, yeah, sure, an S21 Ultra is going to be better because it's got all those telephotos and gives you that versatility, of course. But I don't think that's significant enough to pay the extra money unless you're like me, a photography fan. But I'm I'm really impressed with that camera system that they keep on. It's like it never dies. It's like it keeps going. How many generations of the 12-megapixel sensor have we had on the Samsung phone that's essentially the same? They keep changing the lens. Sometimes it's a variable aperture. Sometimes it's a faster f-stop. But the sensor, that dual-pixel autofocus sensor has been around, I want to say, since the S8. Yeah. Right? Let's talk about the Fairphone 4 real quick. This is something we're not going to get here in the U.S. I suppose we can probably order it. Four ninety nine pounds UK. It's a little steep, but you know that's always been the case with Fairphones. You're really buying 
an idea. Like, I shouldn't say that. You're buying a product that has certain ideals attached to it that I think are good ideals. And if you are willing to pay that price because of these ideals, I think you're doing the right thing. I think it's good. But I don't think it's for me. I, I, I need something a little more oomphy. And I'm, but I'm not going to complain about the price. So they seem to have improved it quite drastically since the last version, right? Yeah, um, it it's, seems to be a much more competitive smartphone in today's terms. Uh, the Fairphones, in my view, are, are the equivalent of the organic, free-range, happy massage chicken eggs. You get ah. all the ethical, happy, happy, clappy stuff uh, for the environment and the idea of right to repair, relatively open software you can mess around with. It's great, but obviously this is not going to be a commercial success competing with established uh, big box stuff. They have to uh, really sell their 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 essentially their ethos to make this happen. And obviously, with the US, it's going to be even more tough to do that in in the current environment. So yes, you can import one to the US if you if you want to. But the key thing is here: this is for the enthusiast market in Europe, Asia, and South America, in my view. Uh, and only for those who can afford to pay a, a massive premium for the idea, or that lovely speckled back, uh, as you if you look at the third yeah. color option. And honestly, I, it, it has a bit of reminiscence of some some HTC phones we saw around about five six years ago with that speckled back. But yeah, my first uh, feel when I saw that speckled back was, I don't care about the phone; just give me that back. Yeah, right. I actually like the design with that triangular camera pod. I like that it has two 48 megapixel sensors in the back and a Snapdragon 750 with 5G. That's a good chip. And honestly, you know, that's going to be a in, in normal Euro US pricing, unless you look at like, you know, very competitive Chinese brands, this is already going to be a 450 or $500 phone. So now you're they're asking for, you know, a little more than that. 670 US is what 499 UK pounds translates to. So you're paying $170 more for, you know, this ideal, this idea or ideal. Um, and I'm, I think it's reasonable. I'm a little bummed with the display though. The teardrop notch kind of looks antiquated. It, you know, it's a full HD display. It's IPS. I think if this thing had an AMOLED with a punch hole, you know, I think it would complete the package. I think the specs are okay as they are. But that would just make it more modern and, you know, just seal the deal. Yeah, but as we know, AMOLEDs are so difficult to replace and fix. LCD is simple. You can slap in a new one, connect the connector, and it's done. Uh, that I think AMOLED would essentially negate some of the advantages of the concept of Fairphone. Yeah, but uh, the quality of the result, like they went, you know, they learned about the cameras. They put two 48 megapixel sensors in there. Hopefully they're like Sony IMXs or something and they're decent because probably because people said this, you know, we need, we need a solid baseline, but I feel like why could Are you saying that even the hippies need to take good pictures? Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe the hippies need to take good pictures. What I'm trying to say is that I feel like there's no reason you can't make an AMOLED display that's replaceable. Like you just, there's a way to engineer that. It's just, yeah. they need to do it. 
in in the context of a fair phone, I think that would add maybe uh, half a centimeter to the thickness of the phone. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> you <would laughs> double the thickness. Um, I don't know. I mean, isn't AMOLED thinner? Like a- AMOLED is thinner if you put it into a device uh, that's going to be completely sealed and clapped in. Whereas right. if you want the the whole ethos of Fairphone is that you can have the right to repair. Every part is replaceable. Every yeah. part is replaceable. As a consumer, you don't necessarily need to go to a shop. So I think that having an LCD in that product is the right call. If they were to put in AMOLED, it would be a, a more difficult device to repair. And to repair. Yeah. Fair enough. I think you you're correct. Okay, let's see what else we got here on the menu. Well, we should talk a little bit. I don't want to get in great details because we're going to run out of time if we do. But we should mention, and I have really zero factual opinion even to add to this. So I'm just kind of like, it's kind of think of it as a PSA here. Hey, listeners, Android 12 is out. And hey, listeners, Windows 11 is out. I have not tried Android 12. I'm one of those people who does not like to try the betas of Android. I just like to wait for the final thing to land on my Pixel. And then when it does, hooray, it's wonderful. And I enjoy it and I learn the new things and I kind of explore it. So, of course, I linked to the Verge's review here. If you want to find out with what you what it brings to the table, I've talked with Ryan Hager on the show a few weeks back when the beta, the last beta was made available. We went a little bit more in depth on some of the features of Android 12. So if you want to listen back a few podcasts, you can do that. Um, and of course, Matteo, I'm going to ask you in a second what you think is what your experience has been. And same with Windows 11. I'm not a PC user. I I like PCs. I don't have any issues with them, but I'm not a I'm primarily a Windows user. So it's going to take a little while before I get a computer in my hands that has a Windows 11 pre-installed. And as such, I have zero experience with Windows 11. And again, I'm not going to start installing betas or whatever. So I'm going to leave you with the Engadget review of Windows 11 so you can make up your own mind. Have you had any experience with either of these two OSs, Mateo? Yes, I have. So I've been running Android 12 throughout the betas from the very first release on my Google Pixel 4a. Daring. So daring. But I have to specify, my Google Pixel 4a doesn't have my main phone contacts and details and, and accounts on it. It is more of a sort of playground to make sure that I'm up to date. It does have a SIM card in it. It has data connectivity. I make calls and send texts on it, but it's not my main phone. And right. I really, really like it. Um, it's it's a very personal thing. They've changed the whole look and feel of Android. I think that you're going to like it, Miriam. It's still got that element of simplicity, get stuff done, practicality, but it is it's go- like going from square circle, square square icons to squircles. It's a bit like the upgrades that Windows nine people went through from Windows ninety eight to Windows XP, if that makes sense. Right. It's it's fundamentally different, but yet familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Android 12, I'm super happy with. Uh, whilst on the other side, Windows 11, I've been running on a couple of machines. My main desktop uh, machine I use for video editing, uh, the one that heats my spare bedroom when I'm exporting video. 
and my uh, very important to yes. have a PC that doubles as a heater, especially if as we go into the autumn or fall, as you call it in North America. Autumn, indeed. It's it's very important to make sure you you switch off your your radiators that use gas for as part of your central heating and make the most of that electricity you're using to export video anyway. But yeah, Windows 11, I'm I'm really quite liking it. I've had no issues with it apart from the the a uh, couple of Nvidia driver issues, but those have been resolved. It's it's my workspace. I I enjoy Windows 11. And the same on my travel laptop that I use for video editing whilst on the roads when we go on road trips. Uh-huh. It works perfectly fine. It's slightly different look, slightly different user interface. For most people, there will be little or no difference apart from, oh, things are in the middle rather than over on the left. That's about it. Yeah, uh, the Engadget review just mentioned that, you know, the taskbar and start menu changes take some learning, and I bet you that's true. Um, but I think, you know, I, people get used to it. It's not that big of a deal. To me, it'll feel very familiar because this is exactly where my Mac dock is yeah. on my on my Macs. I don't put it on the side. I don't have it auto-hide. I'm one of those people who wastes literally a tiny sliver of real estate in my screen for just my dock of apps at all times. Because, I mean, how many pixels? My iMac is a five megapixel display 5k i mean display so you know wow. like i have all the pixels to spare are, are you running it at a hundred percent scale as in one pixel is one in the user no, interface no no um i don't know what apple does there <laughs> you know and uh, there's a way to to optimize that i think they they do some trickery but like it takes up you know on a 27 inch imac it takes up a finger's worth of of height uh, along the bottom of so that's like Ah, probably like it's it's like point eight two bananas. Uh, if we're considering the banana for scale, the universal unit of measurement. If you use bananas as a scale, yes, it's like one twentieth of the space is what it looks like roughly, and and that's fine. I I don't mind. I just like it down there. I like seeing what apps are running and putting all my favorite apps down there and just you know clicking away. I mean, ultimately, you know, I'm a computer nerd that programmed for years so a lot of things happen in command line for me um and not just command line but also through you know the search functionality in in, in on the mac and on windows where i i automatically just use the hotkey to bring up the search box and i type whatever app i need and it pops up right like uh, i'm if it's not in my taskbar because i use it 100 percent of the time every day that's how I, I don't even go through the file system anymore to find stuff in the same way as most people, you know, pull down on uh, on the on their iPhones to get to uh, the search and type in the name of the app they want, because, well, who has time for organizing folders and apps on the home screen anyway? Question mark. Yeah, it's the the fundamental <laughs> philosophy of user experience is why deal with taps when search is now so fast and so convenient. I mean, command line has always been the winner, and search is command lined. Yes, the search is con- command line for 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 the end user. Yeah, it's exactly. You don't have to have any syntax use. Like, and the next logical level of that is you know smart speakers, right? Talking to the assistant. Yeah. Ultimately, so you know maybe I should try that. Maybe I'm pretty certain that the Siri on my Mac, which is disabled right now, so it's not going to kick in. But I'm pretty sure that if I asked it to start whatever app, it would start whatever app. 
Yeah. Well, that's the, the, the beauty of the future of technology. I think this is bright. It's great for accessibility. It's great for usability. 100%. Some people are still put off by computers, but being able to speak to something or someone is definitely a, a great feature. It's magical. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the news for this week, folks. As I said, it was a pretty quiet week. I mean, we went all the way down to the Moto G Pure for $160. That's how low we went this week. Uh, I'm just kidding. Coming up on my next appearance in the Mobile Tech Podcast, Doogee and their Unisoc smartphones after long-term reviews. Oh, yeah, I'd love to hear <laughs> that. That would be cool. Because but we're, we're talking eight, $60 to $80 smartphones here. Oh, cool. Yeah. No, look, I am, you know, I know what I want and what I need. And, but I'm always, any phone has always got me interested because I'm particularly interested in phones that are really affordable because it's like, I'm curious to see how much you sacrifice in user experience. And, you know, I feel that the answer to that question is less and less every year. You know, like I, there was a time when, I felt the $300 phones were terrible. And I, there's a, and today I can't say that. I, I can recommend many phones at $300. And I would even say at $200. I'm not quite confident that I can recommend phones at $100 or $150 yet. But as you pointed out, went very, very well. I, the argument you made was very strong, I felt, for... You know, folks like our aunts and uncles and parents and stuff that, yeah, maybe you don't need that. I do feel that they might still be too sluggish for them, but I could be wrong. <laughs> well, I think that if they do become too sluggish, we should be pointing our fingers at the Facebook, Instagram apps that are running in the background and chewing up all their, <laughs> their, their, their processing power or bandwidth. 100%. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, Matteo, do you want to tell folks on the internet where they can find you, your social media handles? I'm Matteo from Tech Travel Geeks. We are principally a, a YouTube channel at this point. We do have a website where we occasionally post news or my t-shirts of a day. But uh, <laughs> we essentially cover consumer electronics and tech, primarily that we believe improves the travel experience. But I cover technology in general, uh, occasionally appearing on great shows like this one, all about Android and the Twit Network, and other media outlets. So follow me on Twitter at Todoleo for the latest updates from me, some snarky tweets and uh, calling out what I sometimes see as not healthy behaviors in the tech industry. And <laughs> pre-warn you, there's plenty of cat content and the same handle Todoleo is on Instagram and wherever else uh, you, you can find me. We will need to get you back on the Tech Travel Geeks podcast since you, you're now, you've been traveling more than the two of us put together. <laughs> yes, I'd love to be on your show. You know that. And folks, you know where to find me. I'm at Tankerl on Twitter and Instagram. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character Tankerl, but without the vowels. So if you want to discuss this podcast with Matteo and I, hit us up on Twitter. If you want to see pretty pictures of phones and cars and taken with phones, go to my Instagram and there's a couple of YouTube channels now that go alongside the podcast. YouTube.com slash mobile tech podcast is the main channel. Mostly has unboxing videos, some hands-ons and stuff like that. 
and, you know, kind of core personal tech because that's kind of the things that matter to me. And then, of course, there is a second channel now called youtube.com slash mobile tech more. And that's kind of something we're starting to work with and develop. And it's, uh, you know, we could use your subscription. So we need that thousand subscriber count. But it's more about all the accessory tech, like the travel stuff, the car stuff, the cases and battery packs, all the home automation, the home appliance that are smart, all that all that stuff is in there, is going to be in there. So check that out. Do you cover Mockadile as well? No, I'm sorry, Matteo. That is your thing. I leave oh. that in your domain, 100%. I'll send the Mockadile industrial complex your way and you'll get inundated with Mockadile cases. Well, thank you. That would be uh, interesting. So yes, folks, please like, subscribe, tell your friends, click on the notification bell on the channels. I'd appreciate it. It helps us out. And, you know, it's extra content for you, visual stuff that goes alongside the podcast. And then, of course, the podcast itself lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. And, uh, you know, you should subscribe. There is uh, an RSS feed there, but also on all the Google, Apple, and Spotify, and Pocket Cast platforms and apps. So subscribe there. If your app lets you rate or review the show, please consider doing that. It helps uh, people discover the show. So, yeah, I'd appreciate that. And of course, as you probably know by now, because we keep mentioning this in the show every now and then, like I said, hey, Mateo was showing me his Pixel 5. There is a video version of the show that you can get if you become a patron on Patreon. So that's one of the tiers. There's also other tiers for Discord server and a bunch of other stuff. So check that out, patreon.com slash tankerl. That's patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. Help us out, you know, and get some extra fun content. The uh, video version is unedited in the sense that I will only remove things that are embargoed or whatever, but basically you get a raw feed of the video version of this podcast and you get it a couple of days early usually, so it's pretty great. The audio version will stay free forever, of course. I want to thank Howard S. for being our new Patreon this week. Thanks, Howard, for joining. Really appreciate it. And folks, if you don't like Patreon, I get it. You can still help us out. We have a PayPal button in the show notes. You click through there. You can make a donation on PayPal. I appreciate you considering it. So either join Patreon or do a donation if you can. It helps pay the bills and make this continue to happen every week. And of course, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible's been with the show since the early days. They're really awesome. If you, like me, are a bookworm and you love to read, you should check it out because sometimes you don't want to read. Like you want to not actually use your eyes. You want to use your ears to read. Is that reading? I don't know. But anyway, Audible has got you covered. They have a fantastic selection of books, everything from like long form to short stories. They have podcasts. They have a whole bunch of fun stuff. So audibletrial.com slash mobile tech is URL. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. And you get a 30-day free trial and you get to keep a book at the end, whether you stay or go. I think you'll stay because once you start using it, you'll really love it. For me, it's all about road trips. When I go on drives for a long time and I'm driving and I want to listen to a book, but I can't read it, obviously. So that's one way to do it. And the other thing that's great is if my eyes are tired and I'm on a long flight or something, I can listen to some books. I think it's cool. And if you like books, I think you'll think it's cool too. So check it out, audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. I want to thank Audible for being awesome 
as always, and helping us out. And you should too. And Matteo, thank you for being on the show yet again. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm not sponsored by Audible, but I'm a very happy customer and I love the selection of books there. I've just finished a great one, if you're looking for a recommendation, The Prime Ministers, which is a history of all the prime ministers in the UK uh, since the 1700s. And it's really, really interesting. It's a series of essays on each prime minister in succession. Well, there you go, folks. Thanks for that recommendation, Matteo. And we'll have you back on the show at some point in the future. And folks, of course, we'll have a podcast next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.